in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. May these words be added to your hearts. Please be seated. As spring comes, everybody starts thinking more organically. We put gardens in, we buy flowers, and we watch things grow. And uh, this series is called The Organic Believer. It's all about our growth as Christians. And uh, this message is entitled The Da Vinci Case. Our bulletin got it 80% right, so... uh, We'll be thankful for that. Let's pray. Father, this church is all about you. It's about Jesus. Yours is the name above all names. And we recognize that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. But the possibilities that we have through him are unlimited. So we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to look at your word now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. During the Renaissance, there was a remarkable outburst of creativity that has probably never been equaled. All the artistic geniuses of that era, there emerged an extraordinary individual who has been called the Rorschach blot of history. His fame has survived to this day. There's even a teenage ninja turtle named after him. 500 years ago, Leonardo da Vinci was dissecting cadavers and drawing the human anatomy in such detail that his diagrams were not surpassed or equaled until the invention of the modern x-ray machine. He also invented the parachute, designed irrigation projects, central heating systems, lens grinding machines. He invented a prototype for the modern tank, submarine, helicopter, airplane, No wonder he's been called the greatest engineer of all time. And he came very close to stating the laws of thermodynamics. And he speculated on theories that were later formulated by Newton and Einstein. And oh, by the way, he also painted what is considered the greatest masterpiece in the history of art, the Mona Lisa. If ever there was a man who should have felt that he lived a fulfilled life, it was da Vinci. Who has ever accomplished more? Yet there there is a tragic undertone in his life. In his notebooks, especially in the later sections, there is a phrase he scribbled repeatedly, a question that haunted him until the day he died. Over and over again, we see this phrase, tell me if anything has been done. Has anything been done at all? Da Vinci saw himself as a failure. He never discovered the secret 
of fulfillment. And just like him, there are so many who climb the ladder of success only to find that it's been leaning against the wrong wall. It's the Da Vinci curse. So what does it take to experience a life that's meaningful and fulfilled? Well, obviously, we have to discover why God created us. And last week, we saw how Jesus answered that question in John 15. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. The secret of fulfillment is discovering why we were created. We were created to bear fruit. That has to do with our character and with our conduct. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. The secret of fulfillment is fruitfulness. That's why we were created. That's why we were chosen. And this fruitfulness, as we said, above all, has to do with our character. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It's gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Just imagine a person with those qualities walking around. I mean, you just want to get near someone like that, just to get a little bit of the blessings coming off that kind of a life. Of course, the problem is that this is not in our DNA. We are not capable of exhibiting these virtues consistently. I can squirt out a little goodness now and then, but I don't have enough pump pressure to produce those streams of living water. And it reminds me that apart from Christ, I can do nothing. I can love those who love me. I can love my friends. I can love my family. But that's easy. I can't love other people, especially when I have a conflict. But the Holy Spirit can do that, and he can do that through me. As we said many times before, the Christian life isn't difficult. It's impossible. Only one person ever did it. The good news is he's willing to do an encore performance through our lives through the Holy Spirit. So fruitfulness is produced by the Holy Spirit in our lives. But how does this happen? How do we bear fruit? Well, it happens organically. It says in verse 5, if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. It doesn't say you might bear fruit, but you will, if you remain. So any branch that's connected to the vine will bear fruit. If it doesn't produce fruit, it's because the connection is somehow broken. When we lived in St. Albert, every spring I pruned our raspberry bushes. And there was a lot of stems that had green leaves on them, and it made it easy to spot the ones that had died. They were kind of brown or yellow, and you take those off. But even after that, you prune back the healthy stalks, because if you want much fruit then less is more. In verse 2 it says, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he trims clean so it will be even more fruitful. God will take things out of your life 
that may be good because he wants to give you something even better. The secret of fulfillment is fruitfulness, and the secret of fruitfulness is fellowship. Verse 4, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. That's the secret of bearing fruit. We have to remain in Christ. We have to be connected. The King James Version uses an even better word. It uses the word abide. I like that word. It's an organic connection where the life flows from the vines into the branch, providing all it needs to produce fruit. And this process is not a struggle. You don't need to squirm or strain. You simply maintain a nurturing relationship with Jesus Christ. And that becomes a problem. Because a lot of Christians these days have become hyperkinetic. You know, our schedules are so busy. Sometimes it looks like we're a contestant on the amazing race. You're rushing through your devotions because you're overbooked again. So you're reading a few verses while you're eating your breakfast, while you're looking through the newspaper, while you're thinking of which appointment you need to reschedule. It's kind of like a bunch of hyperactive children. You wonder, where do they get this energy? You know, you try to hug them, and after about 1.6 seconds, they'll squirm to get away because they want to do something else. The part that I like the most is when they're finally exhausted and they'll come and sit on your lap and snuggle. That's what abiding looks like. Some call it practicing the presence of God. God's favorite part is when we stop multitasking and give him our undivided attention when you snuggle into him and you're not checking the time. That's what abiding looks like. And I especially experience that when I'm writing my sermons. I just stop accelerating and I start abiding. And for the next five, six hours, I'm practicing his presence. I just am enjoying being with him. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So I have found that I cannot abide when I'm in a hurry. If I'm in a hurry, that damages the connection. And I can tell because the fruit will start to deteriorate. Soon I've lost the joy. I'm not patient. I'm not kind. There's no peace. When I'm in a hurry, I can't abide, and it shows. And it's not just our schedules. There's other things that kind of accelerate our lives, that get our heart racing. Things like anxiety and fear and disappointment and impatience with God. They kind of make our hearts spiritually defibril or fibrillate until we almost panic. And that's the opposite of abiding. And if it goes on too long, our lives become barren. And I wonder if I've missed some blessings because I was in too much of a hurry. If the answer to my prayer is moving northwest at 5 kilometers an hour, and I'm heading southeast at 99 kilometers an hour, I can speed right through the intersection before the answer even gets there and say, God, weren't you going to help me? 
Well, he was, but I was in too much of a hurry, recalculating. So let me introduce you to a life-changing word that's become very meaningful to me. Now, this word has been around for a while, but I don't hear it used that much anymore, so I want to try to put it back into circulation. John 14, chapter 1, Jesus said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. All of us trust God. But the question is, what does trust look like? Sure, I trust God theologically, but I'm still anxious, I'm still tense. Is that trust? Well, let me give you a synonym that makes it clearer. How do I know if I'm trusting God? I am not really trusting until I, here's the word, relax. It's a good word. I like that word. I like myself a lot better when I'm relaxed than when I'm tense and intense. And that's the word that's changed my life. Abiding is not restlessness, it's rest. You have to learn to relax. Stop rushing and relax. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Often we just get way too intense, especially about spiritual things. We try so hard. I remember a time when I used to go to every conference and I would collect binders with hundreds of pages of notes and my shelves were full of audio tapes because I wanted to learn everything I possibly could so I could grow. I have to admit, I'm a recovering perfectionist. My life used to be controlled by lists, and I was exactly like Santa. I'd make a list, and I'd check it twice. And my list never allowed me to relax because there was always one more thing that I could do, and if there wasn't, there was something I already did that I could do better. And I was always rushed, thinking about the next thing never able to relax until God showed me a better way. I remember going to this week-long conference where they gave me this big red binder, three-ring binder, and it was so impressive. And it was filled with incredible insights. And in one of the sections, the speaker was uh, telling us how to pray when we're under attack in spiritual warfare. And it was amazing. I'd never heard this stuff before. And there were eight full pages of solid information. And there were diagrams. And there were charts and subsections. And in these charts, there were arrows going this way. And there were arrows going that way. And when it got to the end, I, I, I was so confused. I had an anxiety episode. How will I ever remember all this? What if I don't have my binder with me? What if I forget which way the arrows went? Oh, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me? And at that point, God showed me one verse, Romans 8:26, where it says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. 
wow, if that's true, if that's actually true, then that's the answer. It's the Holy Spirit. When life gets overwhelmed, we, we live by the Spirit. That one verse replaced eight pages of notes with arrows going this way and arrows going that way. That one verse rescued me, and I immediately relaxed, recalculating. If your Christian life is too complicated, if you're getting tense and agitated, if you're feeling this pressure, if you're tired of trying to measure up, if you're getting confused, there is a better way. You know, at some of these conferences, you almost feel like you're drinking out of, fi out of a fire hydrant. There's so much information, and it's so fast and furious, it's just too much. Now, there's nothing wrong with conferences. There was just something wrong with my attitude. I just tried to absorb it all. And finally, I realized if I go to one of these conferences, and they'll give me 99 practical applications, the most, the most I can even hope to use is maybe two or three. If I can come away with that, then it was well worth it. I can't do everything. We just get too intense, and we just try too hard. That's not what's happening in John 15. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. You know, back in the early 70s, my parents lived in Kelowna, and they had about a dozen cherry trees on their property, and there was one that spread its branches right over the sun deck. And so we could sit at the table and pick fresh cherries right off the branch for breakfast. Just another day in paradise. It was so peaceful, so serene, except at night. It was very hard to sleep there because all night long you would hear these agonizing groans coming from somewhere in the orchard. Now, it's not because we had an outhouse. We had, <laughs> we had indoor plumbing. But it was, it, was, it was like labor pains. It was like someone passing kidney stones. And I finally figured out what was going on. It was because the trees were struggling and straining to bear fruit. It was excruciating. Do you believe that, Josh? <laughs> now, Josh... Listen, here's the deal. I'm the pastor, so you have to believe me because I'm 80% right 20% of the time. But this is not one of those times. The truth is that fruit-bearing is not an exhausting, excruciating process. Trees do not struggle and strain to produce fruit. It's very relaxed. And they're not in a rush. It happens naturally as every branch is just connected to the tree. It's as natural as blood circulating through our bodies. As long as the connection is maintained, the sap flows from the roots into the branches and you get fruit. In fact, we had so much fruit we didn't know what to do with it. 
Well, this is an illustration of spiritual truth. I am the vine, you are the branches. And if you remain in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. That's kind of a summary of the entire Christian life. It's a matter of your position. The, <clears throat> to produce fruit, we don't have to strain. We remain. We maintain that connection. When we abide, we maintain an intimate, nurturing, growing fellowship with Jesus Christ. And through that, the impossible happens. Things like 2 Corinthians 9.8, where it says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Do you realize what it would take to do that by yourself? You'd wear yourself out trying to do that. But you don't have to. It all comes because God makes all grace abound to you and you will bear fruit. It was, it was interesting watching my dad deal with the trees because he would water them and he pruned them, but he never had to discipline them. He didn't put up big signs that said, grow cherries, exclamation mark. Never once did he threaten them, if you don't produce, I'm going to get my chainsaw and turn you into firewood. The trees did not need any special motivation or training seminars. They seemed to know what to do. And so do you. But you have to relax. Stop rushing and relax. Pastors should not have to threaten their congregations. Be loving, exclamation mark, or God is going to send the hounds of heaven after you. You know what to do. You know how to love. Just remain. Maintain that connection and let it happen through you, naturally. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Recalculating. We can't produce fruit. But if we abide in him, there will be fruit, there will be much fruit, and there will be fruit that shall last. So relax. You know, that's kind of the tone of the New Testament. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Is that true? Really? Well, then we can relax. There's no condemnation. Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You can't rush that. But he promised it would happen, so relax. Don't get frustrated. Romans 8, 28, we know all things work together for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. That takes time. So relax. Don't try to rush it. And don't worry. How do I know if I'm trusting God? If I'm trusting, I should be relaxed. Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If you do that, if you relax and just abide, 
you will bear fruit. Now, obviously, there's got to be something more to this, and there is, but we're going to have to look at that next week. In the meantime, abide, and you will bear fruit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you created us for this purpose, and that if we don't figure that out, simply because... uh, we are sinners and we don't uh, understand why we were created, we get another chance because you also called us to that. And we res- when we respond to that call, then we also learn. This is why we were created, to have a close, nurturing, amazing relationship with you so that From that, our lives will produce those things that honor and glorify you. We thank you that this is all made possible by the Lord Jesus Christ, who through his death provided salvation, through his resurrection has given us the assurance of eternal life. And that brings us to this table where we want to again remember what has been done for us, for Apart from him, we can do nothing. So we pray this in his name. Amen.